he fought, which, I mean, the miracles that we were praying for, little by little, we were seeing glimmers of hope. Mm -hmm. The fact that he shouldn't have even made it through that first day, and he did. And he shouldn't have even had his vital stay stable and they did and so the third day that they were that we were there they said all right we're going to do a neuro test that will determine surgery and they did the neuro test and they took us into this big conference room and they said that he was brain dead at that point i'll never forget the way his surgeon said it to me either he said we believe matt to be brain dead and I, and I remember sitting and looking at him and saying, why? 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 Why are you saying that? I couldn't even cry in that moment. It was just complete shock. Mm-hmm. We were in this big conference room full of nurses and doctors and chaplains and social workers and family. And they're telling us that he's, he's gone. At that point, the plan was... To let him go through the night. They were going to do another neuro test in the morning. If it was confirmed that he was gone, then we would discuss when to, I guess, take him off the machines. Matt spared me from having to make that decision. He spared his family from that decision mm-hmm. because he went on his own that mm-hmm. night. We were all there with him in those final moments uh so yeah we we lost matt Hi everyone, I'm Elise Marsh and I'm your host here on the Perfectly Wonderfully Made podcast. There is power in stories, you guys, and I believe sharing our stories brings hope for our souls. The journey to becoming a parent allows each of us a glimpse into the heart of a creator who so desperately wants you to know just how chosen, designed, called, and beautiful you are. He sees you perfectly, wonderfully made. I am so glad you're here today. Whatever you're doing, I pray you're encouraged by these words. It's cold out this morning. I cannot believe it's like almost the middle of October. We're well into fall and I'm freezing. I'm freezing already, so it's not looking good for me. I want to talk to you about internet friends. We all have them. You know, the friend you have on the internet, but you've never actually met them in real life. Maybe you have tons of mutual friends on the internet. You like all their photos and you're a huge fan of theirs. You would love to be friends in real life, but how do you even make that happen before things get weird? I know there's not even a relationship there and we're already talking about its demise. The internet, you guys, social media, I tell ya, it's a tough thing. Well, 
I met one of my internet friends this week, and it was so much fun. All it took was a, hey, can we meet for coffee message? And that was it. So I'm so thankful that my new friend invited me over. I was so blessed by my time with her, and it really got me thinking about how many relationships we miss out on because we just don't put ourselves out there. It's just a tiny, tiny baby step. It's a very small question, but too often the words just never come out of our mouths. We get busy or we have a moment and we think about it, and then the next thing we're doing is the dishes. So mamas, this week, Take the next step. Invite that mama friend over and say, hey, can we be friends? Because I can pretty much guarantee she's already said yes in her head before you even asked. Today on the show, I chat with my friend, Danny Laramore. Her story will change you. I'm just going to tell you now, grab some Kleenex. You're going to need it for this one. Danny looks grief and loss in the face and makes a decision to not be overcome by her circumstance. We chat about her journey with infertility, the birth of her first baby, getting pregnant with her second baby, and the tragic loss of her husband. Danny shares what it looks like to go through labor and birth without her baby's dad. She talks openly about grief and anxiety and how she continues to hope in the Lord each day. Her story is so powerful, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Oh, I like feel really emotional today. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to text you and be like, be prepared for I know, I me to too, cry. But I was like, just hold it together, Elise. Like, my life is kind of crazy. The mm-hmm. last like season has been really crazy, and... like this week in particular has been like really hard and I'm like this is so bad Bad so it's okay I might just be extra emotional today it'll it'll make for a good podcast good podcast (laughs) yeah okay so if you like need to go pee just go pee or not here not here (laughs) in the house (laughs) well like you could drink your water go pee or do whatever you need to do don't feel like you have to just Ignore. That's where Jeff's creative editing comes into play. Yeah, he's really good at it. He editing. is really. It's been he's fun. He's really good at listen. editing the podcast. I'm like, you guys have no idea like <laughs> what it sounds like the first take. Yeah. And then he just makes it sound amazing. It's been, I've enjoyed it, honestly. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm it's glad. Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, even like sitting with Amanda mm-hmm. last week or whenever that was, I'm sitting here and I talk to the girl every day. Yeah. Like pretty much. And I'm like, I didn't know any of that. That's incredible. So right. I think it's so fun to sit in this way yeah. and have a conversation. And it's pretty cool. It is cool. And I like the different perspectives on so far everybody's birth experience because yeah. they are so different. Yeah. So different. Yeah. So it's really good. Okay. You ready to get into this? I'm ready. Okay, Danny. Hello. Hi. Thank you for coming out to me and Bonnie Lake and the cabin and leaving your babies. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Yeah. I'm super excited to chat with you and hear more about your heart. And I don't think we've ever actually got to like sit by ourselves. I don't think so either. And hang out. Yeah. And talk. So this is going to be super fun. Yeah. 
So I know Danny kind of through Cascade, Christian, and um, Danny's husband, Matt, and my husband, Jeff, went to school together, and mm-hmm. Matt coached my high school tennis team. Oh, that's right. I always forget about that. Yeah. So I feel like I've known Matt for a really long time, yeah. and Jeff and Danny knew each other for a while, so we've definitely had connections in the past, mm-hmm. but my last memory of you guys was running into you at the fair mm-hmm. that September yeah. and saying hi and just chit-chatting for a little bit. And that's really my last kind of official memory right. of you before we started seeing each other on a more regular basis. Yeah. I remember Matt and Jeff were obviously have been friends for so long. Right. I just remember Matt always saying, Elise is the nicest person you've ever met. (laughs) Anytime you guys came up, he's like, Elise is so nice. You would really like her. And then I finally officially met you at the fair that year. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) And he was right. So. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like, I don't, I mean, Matt was always like the older high schooler boy, like coaching the girls tennis team. (laughs) So we just had a blast. How did he get into that? I'm (laughs) Jeff Allen, I'm sure. And uh, Tyler helped out. And so we just had like a blast just like being goofy and silly and having fun. So I have a lot of great memories that way. So Danny, who are you? What does your life look like? Do you work? Do you stay home with your kids? Yeah. What's kind of this season look like for you? So I am a stay at home mom. I feel very fortunate to be able to stay home with my little ones. I have a three-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter, which I can't believe. Olivia, and then I have a son, Rylan, who's just 18 months. Yeah. So we stay home. We are rarely home, but (laughs) yes, we're all together. I met Matt back in 2002, which seems like an eternity ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. And we had a lot of mutual friends just through private school and through Mm -hmm. the church, I guess. And we were at our friend Adam's house one summer I was 16 when we met and Matt was 20. So there was quite a big, I mean, when you're older, the age doesn't matter. Right. But at 16 and when 20. When you're young. And uh, I just remember walking into Adam's kitchen and Matt was there. Something in that moment told me I would have Matt in my life forever. I didn't know in what in what way. Yeah. I didn't, I certainly didn't think he would be my husband given sure. that I was 16 and he was 20. Yeah. But um, I just knew that he was going to be in my life in some way and Matt was never one to like hit on anybody. Yeah. He was just always really friendly. And so he was trying to be friendly and I was kind of being a brat and was like, do you realize that I'm only 16? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, that summer we just started hanging out, getting to know each other. He was actually going to college at Point Loma in San Mm -hmm. Diego and I was still in high school. So (laughs) he went off to school and quickly decided he was homesick and (laughs) yeah he's like wait a second I mean he always said it had nothing to do with me his decision to come home but (laughs) you're like I know your plans dude so he came home and then transferred to Pacific Lutheran in Tacoma and we dated for uh close to four years and out of the blue Matt broke up with me one day with no rhyme or reason, he. I just remember him calling me saying, I need to talk to you. And I said, well, you can't leave me hanging. You right. know, what's going on? And 
he said, I'm just really unhappy and I don't think we should be together anymore. And that, I mean, that rocked my world yeah. because I didn't see it coming at all. So we were apart for a total of two and a half years. Um, I remember Matt was still trying to be friends with me in the midst of this breakup. And that just, that played with my heart in such a negative way that my mom got on the phone with Matt one day and she's like, Matt, this needs to be all or it needs to be nothing. Right. Yeah, you can't be in the friend zone. No, not after a four-year relationship yeah. and talking about, you know, our future together and stuff. Right. So after that, it was nothing. There was no communication. And um, I saw a shift in Matt that wasn't like himself. I don't, I don't know entirely what he went through during that time. I just know he wasn't himself. Yeah. And I knew, I knew Matt would wake up one day and be like, this is a huge mistake. What am I doing? Yeah. And sure enough, that's what happened. And about a year after our breakup, I was driving to work and I know exactly where I was on the road. <laughs> and wow. Matt called me and he was like, I, I literally made a huge mistake and I want to try to fix this. And I thought when I heard those words from him, I would be all about it. Yeah. And so he's like, let's go to dinner. So we went to dinner. He picked me up. And I, I was excited. I was ready for it. Yeah. My family was stoked. Um, like that was the moment we'd been waiting for. We got to the restaurant and we were sitting in the restaurant lobby and I couldn't even look at him. Wow. It was like I hadn't begun my healing because I was waiting so long for him yeah, to, come to come back. back. Right. So Matt, Matt could read me really well at the time and I mean, still can, but um. He said, you don't want to be here, do you? I said, wow. no. And he's like, all right, let's go. And he took me back home. Wow. And uh, That must have been so hard for him, too. Right. And he, I remember I hurt him really badly that night because I said, Matt, everybody wants this except for me. Hmm. And that hurt him a lot. But it was true. Like, I just wasn't, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Um, so he took me home and... We didn't talk for another year and a half. Wow. Um, he kept in touch with my younger brother. They have a six-year age difference. So Matt has always been like the older brother that my brother yeah. never had. So they kept in touch. They went on a few camping trips throughout the time that we were broken up. And they started planning this camping trip. Uh, Matt's parents have a piece of property on a river near the mountain and... Matt and my brother were like, let's go. Andy's friends were going to go. I was going to go. Some of my friends were going to. It was just like yeah. a big mixture of people. Like, this is safe. Yeah. My dad was going to be there. I was like, surely this is a neutral enough environment. There's no pressure on us trying to make a relationship mm -hmm. again. Matt was still kind of on the fence, even though it was at his parents' property. He wasn't sure if he was going to be able to leave work and that right. sort of thing. So, um I wasn't even sure he would be there. And I showed up at the campsite with my best friend, Brittany, and we got out of the car and Matt looked at me and I said to Brittany, I was like, he's looking at me like he's still in love with me. Wow. And she said, don't, don't think about it. Like, just go with the weekend. Just see what <laughs> Yeah, because that's what <laughs> that's you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. And um, that was like, that's all it took, really. We just... We were in a neutral enough but safe enough environment where I knew at that moment we were going to be back together. And 
we came home from camping and we went to dinner and it was a successful dinner. <laughs> yeah, you made it we past actually, the lobby. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Good. And uh, we laid out everything on the table that night mm. of what happened over the last two and a half years. And uh, we said, you know, if this is going to work, the last two and a half years don't matter. Mm. Um, we started dating right away. Um, that was in September, the following June, Matt proposed. Wow. And the following April, we got married. That's awesome. And that was April of 2010. We were married. Yeah. We got married just a month yes, before you I guys. Remember. <laughs> I yes. remember we were like kind of going through our Facebook process together mm-hmm. <laughs> looking yeah. for the same. It's funny to see the memories pop up because it's like I was looking, I don't know when it was, but. I posted that I was looking for someone to do my makeup. And I think Jeff actually gave me the name of somebody. <laughs> yes, probably, because yeah. we're all in the same mode and right. wedding planning and yeah. all of that. Okay, so you guys get married. Yep. At what point did you guys start talking about having kids or planning a family? Yeah, we always knew we wanted a family. That was never a question. Um, I was ready right away. Matt was like, no, let's <laughs> let's be married for a while. So it was probably probably a year and a half after we were married that we both were like, all right, no more birth control. Let's start trying. All my life, I have had very irregular periods. And so I was on birth control at a very young age for that reason. Um, So when Matt and I started trying, I stopped the birth control, obviously. It was not happening. I could not get pregnant no matter what, no matter what. I just, Hmm. it wasn't happening. And so... um, I finally went to my OB about six months after trying unsuccessfully. It was emotional. It's hard to like sit with your doctor and be like, you know, I thought I was made to do this and I can't do it. Right. And I didn't, I wasn't educated then to know that regular periods meant your chances of getting pregnant are higher. Sure. It's easier. So after six months, I saw him and he put me on Clomid. Yeah. And... I think probably three months after that, I got pregnant. Yeah, so pretty quickly. Yeah. Matt was home. It was a Sunday morning, and he was making coffee downstairs. And I took a pregnancy test, and right away it was positive. I was stoked. So I went downstairs, and I told Matt, I've always heard that, like, you fall in love with your spouse in different seasons of your life. Yeah. And in that moment, I loved Matt in a totally different way because we were starting a family. Right. He was super excited um, we told just immediate family, of course, yeah. at the beginning. And then we went in together for my 10-week appointment. At that appointment, during the ultrasound, I found out that I had miscarried. So I hadn't miscarried on my own, right. but baby stopped growing. Mm-hmm. There was no heartbeat. There was, you know, just an empty gestational sac. So yeah. that was a um, that was a devastating moment for us as a couple because at that point we had gone nine months of trying Mm -hmm. um certainly not as long as others but it was a long time I was given the choice if I wanted a DNC or not Mm -hmm. my doctor was like your body will miscarry on its own Mm -hmm. we don't know when or you can have surgery and um, I opted to have the DNC he said after that once you get a period you guys can start trying again so I can't remember. It was probably seven weeks after that I found out 
I was pregnant wow. again. <laughs> so super soon. And the only reason I found out is because in order to get put on the Clomid, you have to take a pregnancy test, test to make sure you're not pregnant. So I thought it was really weird the way it happened. I was I was bleeding and I took a pregnancy test even though I was I thought it was a period and it was a positive pregnancy test. Wow. And I was like what in the world is going on? So I went to my doctor thinking that he's going to put me on Clomid so we can start trying. And I almost didn't even tell him about the pregnancy test, but I thought, oh, my probably. detail. <laughs> you don't need to know that. I probably should tell him. So they did a pregnancy test and found out the same thing. You're pregnant. And I'm like, but I'm bleeding. What's going on? Mm-hmm. My doctor was like, it's normal to spot in the very beginning of yeah. a pregnancy. Don't think too much of it. You know, congratulations, you're pregnant. And I was by myself. You're like, what? So I call Matt and I was like, Matt, I'm pregnant. What the heck? Um, <laughs> so just like this really weird mixture yeah. of emotions because it was totally unexpected and we had just had a miscarriage and here we mm-hmm. are pregnant already. And I went home and shortly after getting home, I miscarried in my bathroom by wow. myself. And so uh, Matt wasn't even home no, from work yet. Matt was at work and I, I called him and I was like, this just in panic mode. This is bad. Oh. This is bad. And he was like a good hour from our house, from where his yeah. wor- his office was at. And so I called my mom. She worked at the local Costco. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. And there was just, I mean, it was, it was a very scary moment. Yeah. And I, I just shut the bathroom door with mm-hmm. all my clothes and everything the way it was. And I just sat in my room and cried and cried and cried. Aww. And my, cause I didn't know if I tried to clean things up, what I would find. Right. I didn't know. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it, I have to leave it how yeah. it is. And my mom being the woman she is came and, and rescued me <laughs> in that yeah. moment. And yeah. So two miscarriages back to back. After that, my OB wanted me to see a specialist. Mm-hmm. I think most doctors want you to have three miscarriages, not want you to, but um, won't send you to a specialist until you've had three. And for whatever reason, he said, just go see him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I saw a specialist. He found that I have this homozygote, I guess. Huh. Um, MTHFR, yeah. I guess is what it's yeah. called. It's pretty, it's co- common, more common. M- more than I, I thought. Yeah. I'm hearing more and more about it. Yeah. Um, so he found that through blood work and put me on this uh, conco- or cocktail, I guess, of supplements. Mm-hmm. Basically, the way he explained it to me was my body thinks that a baby is a blood clot and that it needs to get rid of it instead of keep it. Yeah. So put me on this cocktail. And then after several months of waiting, we got the clear to try again. But in the middle of all that, after my second miscarriage my HCG levels started going up instead of down after oh, my second wow. DNC. Um, so there was fear that it, there was a tubal pregnancy. Mm-hmm. My doctor believes that it was just leftover tissue from my pregnancy that was maybe growing a little bit, and that's why my levels were rising. So I had to have some injections <laughs> to get oh, rid of that. No fun. It was Yeah, it was just this roller coaster, a year and a half total of just craziness so yeah. we let my body rest and heal 
we uh, healed our emotions a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, how was your heart through that? Um, I struggled personally a lot with what we went through because I kept telling Matt, like, there's something wrong with me. I should be able to do mm-hmm. this. And I, I remember a friend telling me through my miscarriage, she said, God gave you the desire to be a mom. And God will fulfill that desire. Mm. And that really stuck with me because I didn't just make up this in my mind that I should be a mom. I was born with that in me. So I just, I took it really personally that we struggled and that I felt like I was failing Matt as his wife. But he was such a a rock as he is through all of it and uh, just was like, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And it finally happened after we rested and got cleared to really try again. It didn't take long. I think it only took a couple cycles and I found out I was pregnant and that's Olivia. Olivia. (laughs) She's our, she's our Clomid baby. That's awesome. Our rainbow baby, I guess. Your rainbow baby. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Give us a brief kind of overview. What was Libra like? How was your birth experience? You, you, I'm assuming you chose to stuck with your same obstetrician. Right. Yeah. I, I love my OB. Like <laughs> he and I have this really special bond. So I wanted him to deliver my baby. My total labor, I think was about 17 hours. And I remember uh, sitting on the couch with Matt and at like 7.30, I started having cramps, just like period cramps is what it felt yeah. like. So I didn't really think much of it. It was a week out from my due date. It was my first baby. I was like, these are probably just Braxton Hicks. Like, I didn't even tell Matt what I was feeling. And we went to bed. And I, w- I kept having contractions all night, but I could sleep. Yeah. But I knew they were there. It was the weirdest thing because I was like, yeah, I don't know. Early labor. Right. I kept thinking... Don't wake Matt up. He has to get up at like five in the morning to go to work. Right. <laughs> so um, I labored all night, I guess, early labored all night. And finally at about one in the morning, I decided I should wake him because they were staying steady at five minutes apart. I didn't know how long they were lasting yet, but they were every five minutes. Yeah. So I woke him up. I said, Matt, I don't know. This is weird. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think something's happening. So he called labor and delivery and asked what we should do. In our birth class, they said, depending where you live, if your contractions are five minutes apart, you should go in. So we were, you know, depending on traffic, could be a half hour from the hospital. So they said, um, labor and delivery said, have her take a bath, drink cold water, see what happens. Um, So we did that for a few hours. And my contractions stayed at five minutes apart. Nothing super intense, but just enough to where it was like timeable, I yeah. guess. At about four in the morning, we decided to go in. We didn't tell family at that point because we were like, we don't even know yeah. what's going on. So I get in uh, to triage and they checked me and I was at a two. How are you feeling <laughs> with that? Frustrated because I knew like something's happening. I knew she was coming. Yeah. I knew it. I, but I stayed at a two. They could not get me to move. And they, they kept me in triage. I'm surprised how long. Yeah. It was four hours that yeah, they kept me there. that's a long time. Yeah. I think because we lived out a little ways, they didn't want me to go home. Unless, yeah. you know, 
They let me kind of hang out there. We walked the halls. We sat on the ball. I took a bath. We did all these things to try to yeah get your labor going a little bit. And it wasn't happening. My contractions were... They could see them on the screen. They knew I wasn't just like yeah. <laughs> making this it is the, This is happening, people. Yeah. I'm not crazy. Um, they gave me an injection in my butt. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but they said... some it's probably Demerol or... Maybe. They said some women, it stops something. labor. Others, it... Or morphine. Could be. I don't know. They. I just remember them saying, go home and eat. Try to sleep. Yeah. If labor picks back up, come back in. And uh, so Matt took me through the Jack in the Box drive through Oh, nice. Romantic. That's exactly <laughs> what food you want when you're in labor. Very easy to come up the other way. Yes. And it did. Um, yeah. So he got me food. I went home and I kind of rested. Sure. I mean, in early labor. And then things started really picking up. And I remember not wanting to go back in fear that they were just going to send me home again. Yeah. So I labored at home for a while. When I started throwing up that jack-in-the-box, Matt was like, all right, we got to go. Yeah, I can do this on my own. (laughs) And the way he drove me to the hospital was a scene from a movie because (laughs) I had both feet up on the dashboard. I'm holding onto the handle and he's like weaving in and out of traffic in hopes to get pulled over because he thinks Olivia is going to be born in his truck. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so um, I think every dad, though, <laughs> thinks the baby is coming in the car. I don't what? know a dad that doesn't yeah. think that. they like It's like this sense of panic. They can be so calm <laughs> and, and he, so steady. And then all of a sudden you get them in the car and they lose their minds. Yeah. They're like, don't you dare have that baby in my truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I had a client and um, we were laboring at home together and then it was clearly time to go to the hospital and I looked at the dad and I said you will not have a baby in the car just don't stop driving you're going to be fine and he just looked at me wide eyes like panic and I'm like just get in the car right now turn it on put your seatbelt on drive he's like okay okay here we go I remember Matt kept um when it was like that transition labor and he kept Mm -hmm. going are you okay Danny are you all right and finally I looked at him and I was like Matt (laughs) I'm in labor, but don't ever, don't ask me that again. Yeah. No, I'm not okay. (laughs) It hurts. I'm fine, but don't (laughs) ask me if I'm okay. Yeah. So we get to the hospital again. By now, family has been notified that um, it's labor. Yeah. And uh, I get to triage, and now I'm at a six. and Which is awesome. Yeah. So great. We progressed quickly. Because it it was now like maybe 11 in the morning. So it hadn't been a crazy long. Yeah. So I get checked in and I'm laboring in my room for a while. I got to the point where I was like, all right, I want an epidural. And prior to that, I was on the fence. I was like, Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Um, I was like, I need this epidural. And they were like, well, our anesthesiologist is in a (laughs) C-section. So when he's done, he'll come. And it seemed like an eternity to get that epidural. When you're mentally done, (laughs) like you've lost your mental ability to cope, you're just, it's, you know, lights out, game over. You, it's really hard to come back from that when you have to wait. Yeah. So he finally came in. Matt had to hold me to the bed because I was in labor big time by now. And, uh, they gave me my epidural and then they checked me, which I feel like is a little bit backward. Sure. And I was at an eight. Now, I That's didn't think awesome. you could get an epidural that late, but 
They gave it to me. You can get an epidural as long as you're not pushing your baby out and there's an anesthesiologist who can be there. Okay. Um, but they're pretty good at most hospitals, at least in Washington State, yeah. as long as, you know, if you want an epidural and you're not pushing, yeah. you can get one. Okay. And those anesthesiologists are so funny. They are a determined bunch. They're <laughs> like, wait, no one can tell me I can't give this girl an epidural. I'm going to do it. I'm I don't care it. what you say. Yeah. You know, they're very, not, you know, not, not maybe so much, but they're a very determined mm-hmm. group um, and they're very skilled, obviously. Right. So yeah, they're very good at, at placing those epidurals, yeah. even if it's later than you anticipated. Right. It was much later than I thought. And you um, rocked it on your own for so long. I did. You it was, could have gone the whole way. I could have. Sure. And once I found out I was at an eight, I was like, "Oh man!" Like, yeah. <laughs> I probably could have gone, but it was. It was. I I needed it at the time. Yeah, for sure. And I had a really good epidural. That's terrific. Um, I felt the urge to push. That's so great. And I remember my doctor was in there, kind of seeing where things were at. I wasn't ready to push, but I was like. I can feel a contraction coming. Yeah. And the nurse was like, well, don't push until we see it on the screen. And my doctor was like, no, no, no. no. Like, you wait for her. Yeah. She'll tell, she you will tell you when it's coming. Yeah. So things kind of slowed down for a while. I don't remember how much time in there had passed, but they broke my water. I kind of rested. And then I was like, all right, we got to push. And I pushed for, I think it was only like 45 minutes. Just so quick Super for a quick. first-time mom yeah. with an epidural. That's really smooth sailing. And I I enjoyed that I could feel, I mean, not the pain, but the pressure of her coming out and yeah. my own contractions. And yeah, yeah, it's very helpful. It was. That's so, so helpful. And she was, it was just like, it was so magical, that moment. For, and I know so many moms can relate to that, but um just the look on Matt's face, the excitement, our family, just it all made sense why we went through the trials that we went through with getting pregnant and our miscarriages and stuff. Just having her, it all was like, okay, because we wouldn't have her if yeah, if we didn't go through that. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What was that postpartum period like with Olivia and Matt transitioning to life with the baby? And how did your marriage change? What um, was that season like for you? We... It was so good. Yeah. I think since we tried for so long that we were like just stoked to have her home. And I remember Matt kept saying how his perspective on our parents had changed because they all did that for us. And now he realized the sacrifice that they made. Um, But yeah, it was it was fun. Matt took a week off of work and he always said that was his most favorite vacation he ever took was staying home with us. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard anyone refer to it as vacation. So that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we were tired, but yeah, it was good. It was that's really awesome. Good. That's yeah. awesome. So at what point did you guys start thinking about adding another baby? Olivia was just over two and I was fearful of it taking so long that I was like, we should start sooner rather than later. Olivia turned two in January and, well, it's like a running joke in the family that I got pregnant on 4th of July. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad time to get pregnant. They were like, there were fireworks, you know. Yeah, so. I know. I actually know a few people who've gotten pregnant on 4th of July, so yeah. it's a pretty, pretty good one. So I found out in July that I was pregnant with our second and I did Clomid the second with okay. our second. I wanted to bypass that um, irregular periods and take the guesswork out of it a little bit. So I went in right away and I was like, we want to try for a second. 
I think most doctors would say like, you should wait, try on your own for six months. But my doctor knew what we had been through. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so he put me on Clomid. It took two rounds of Clomid to get pregnant with Rylan. Yeah. And I remember Matt was at work the morning I found out and I couldn't wait. I, of course, it's like the first thing in the morning that I take a pregnancy test. I'm like, there's no way I can wait till six o'clock tonight to tell him. no way. (laughs) So Olivia had a shirt that said big sister that I was waiting to use. Cute. Um, So I loaded her in the car. We drove the hour out to his office and I was like, we're just in the neighborhood. We wanted to bring you coffee. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Okay. So he came down to the parking lot and I took Olivia out of her car seat and he was just like, cute, like, hey, yeah. Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> didn't think what are you doing it. here? And it took him a few minutes to see her shirt. And um, when he did, he was so excited. Cute. And um, I think one of my favorite memories of finding out we were pregnant was Matt couldn't wait to share the news. Oh, of course. And... Um, he and his best friend Eli work together, and he's like, can I call Eli? Can Eli know? I'm like, sure. So he called Eli. He's like, Eli, come down. Danny's here with Olivia. Come come see her. So Eli comes down, and Matt waited for Eli to catch on to the shirt, too. And they had this cute <laughs> little, like, brotherly best friend moment of oh, that's awesome. Matt finding out he was going to have another baby. So That's yeah, awesome. I can totally fun. picture it just yeah. in my head. That's amazing. Okay, so you're pregnant with Rylan. Mm-hmm. What were those next couple months like for you? Life-changing. Yeah. To put it lightly. Um, so I got pregnant in July, October of that year. So almost two years ago now, I lost Matt. And it was totally unexpected. It was like sudden. I got a call... I was out shopping for maternity clothes with my mm. mom and Olivia. That's how many weeks pregnant were you at that <clears> point? <throat> um, s- almost 16 weeks pregnant. Okay. So you're definitely in that like, uh, my clothes don't fit right. anymore. And I second to- baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> you show a lot faster. Yeah. So my mom and I, it was after, I remember it. Like we watched the Seahawks game in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that afternoon, Matt was going to do yard work and I was going to go buy maternity clothes with my mom and Olivia and something that day said bring Olivia with even Mm -hmm. though it was nap time I was like I'm just gonna bring her with because I felt like I should and I was in the dressing room at Target Mm. and I kept getting phone calls from a number I didn't know and at the time I never answered unknown numbers which I'm sure most people would probably say that as well. Right. I'm always like, mm, on a Sunday decline. too, like, surely this isn't important. Isn't important. Finally, I had a voicemail from a neighbor saying that Matt was being taken to the emergency room hmm. and that he was conscious, but that he wanted me to know. I called my, like, I didn't even get through the voicemail yeah. before I called my neighbor back. And I was like, what's going on? And uh, he said... Matt was in our front yard when Hmm. the neighbor saw the ambulance come down our street. And we lived on a small, in a small cul-de-sac, so it was easy for him to see. And so he went down to see what was going on. And Matt was just saying his chest hurt and um, that he was going to the emergency room. And my neighbors always told me that Matt was so concerned about 
where I was. Yeah. Where's Danny? Like, make sure she knows where I'm at. Call her. Make sure she knows uh-huh. where I'm at. So I'm at Target with my mom. I find this out. I go into panic mode. Not yeah. sure what's going on. We get Olivia loaded in the car. We had a cart full of stuff, and I just, like, I don't even know what happened to it. But um, <laughs> It's fine. They sorted it out <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta great go. <laughs> target workers for just this reason. Yes. So we get in my car, and I pull out onto the main road, and Matt's ambulance is right in front of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I followed Matt to the hospital. I couldn't run the one red light, but, uh, yeah. So I, right. was, I was right behind him, literally. And I jump out of my car. My mom's like, I'll park. You go mm-hmm. in. And I go in and he, I mean, he was there. And we were, one of the nurses came up to me and she was like, all right, you just need to know your husband's having a heart attack. Oh, I was wow. like, okay, all right. And I could tell Matt was uncomfortable. And so I, I went up to Matt and I was like, it's all right. Like, we're going to be fine. It's good. Mm-hmm. I just remember him apologizing over and over to me in just the way that Matt would. Sorry for like inconveniencing you. Aww. I'm sorry that all these people have to take care of me. I'm I'm sorry that you're about to have your world turned upside down. It was mm-hmm. like all of that in those moments. And um, I remember him looking at me and telling me he loved me in a way like he never said it before. Wow. It was like something internal in him knew this was his last time. Mm. <clears throat> so we thought it was a heart attack and it turned out to be, well, it started as an aneurysm of his aortic valve, which then his aortic valve ended up rupturing between the time it took to get from the local hospital to the hospital that could operate on him. So he went through 14 hours of open heart surgery which he survived they replaced his aortic valve everything was functioning well and uh yeah they couldn't get his heart to function off the machines after surgery so the plan was to let him rest Mm -hmm. and then in a few days go back and do more surgery that was kind of the plan but in the midst of that plan his surgeon sat with Matt's family and I and said, you have to pray for a miracle. It's going wow. to take a miracle to heal Matt. So while we had a plan, really the plan was baby steps of we have to get him stable and mm-hmm. then we have to keep him stable and then surgery. So <clears throat> he said, you pray. And we right. did. <laughs> yeah. All over the world, people prayed for Matt. It spread fast. Mm-hmm. That's the one of the beauties of social, social media, media right. in, you know, these desperate yeah. you know, times. And so we spent four days in the hospital with Matt. And he, he fought, which, I mean, the miracles that we were praying for, little by little, we were seeing glimmers of hope. Mm-hmm. The fact that... He shouldn't have even made it through that first day, and he did. Right. And he shouldn't have even had his vital stay stable, and they did. And so the third day that they were that we were there, they said, all right, we're going to do a neuro test. That will determine surgery was this, this neuro test. 
And they did the neuro test and it took hours for us to get the results because his surgeon was in another surgery. And they took us into this big conference room and they said that he was brain dead at that point. I'll never forget the way his surgeon said it to me either. He said, we believe Matt to be brain dead. Hmm. And I was like, so... What does that mean? Right. And I, and I remember sitting and looking at him and saying, why? 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 Why are you saying that? And he kind of filled me in and I couldn't even cry in that moment. It was just complete shock. Mm-hmm. We were in this big conference room full of nurses and doctors and chaplains and social workers and family. And they're telling us that he, he's gone. At that point, the plan was to let him go through the night. They were going to do another neuro test in the morning. Then we would, if it was confirmed that he was gone, then we would discuss when to, I guess, take him off the machines. Matt spared me from having to make that decision. He spared his family from that decision Mm -hmm. because he went on his own that Mm -hmm. night. We were all there with him Mm -hmm. in those final moments. And I remember when Matt was in surgery, when he was in the 14 hours of surgery, it was so up and down for 14 hours. We would get a call from the OR if things were going well, and we would get a nurse to sit by me if it wasn't. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to (laughs) see any nurses. We wanted the phone to ring. (laughs) Right. Um, And I remember sitting with my dad at, I don't even know what time, it was all through the night, and he was like, it was after a phone call of good news, and he was like, do you think we're in the clear? Do you think that, you know, He's going to be okay. And I was like, I, I won't know until we walk out of here. And so when I got that, the news of his neuro test, I still didn't believe it. Yeah. It's just tragedy has a way of like your body starts to protect itself really early on. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, we, we lost Matt very suddenly in an unexpected way. He was 33 at the time. Olivia was 21 months old and I was 16 weeks pregnant with Ryland. What did those next few months look like for you? Obviously, you are grief stricken, right? trying to be a mom, figuring out, gosh, what is my life even supposed to be about right. anymore? It was dark. I... Moved in with my parents right away. I never, I didn't go home until I got homesick. And I just, when I went, when I would go home, it was just to start processing that I couldn't ever go back. So I lived with my parents. I could not sleep alone. So my, my dad gave up his bed with my mom so Mm -hmm. I could sleep with her and yeah, it was me and Olivia and our dog and mm-hmm. I was pregnant and just trying to figure out really how to survive. Yeah. Because 
I knew I had to survive. I had to take care of myself well enough to keep our baby healthy. Yeah. And that was hard at times. And I remember going to my doctor shortly after we lost Matt and I was losing weight, which is never what you want to yeah. see as a pregnant, yeah, pregnant mama. Person. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I don't care if you eat ice cream all day. You have to put calories in your body. Mm-hmm. And I was so well fed by our community. But of course, you don't want to eat. Yeah. You don't want to take care of yourself. You so, can't even feel your stomach no. or your hunger pains at all. They don't even exist. And there's grief is so weird because there was guilt that came with eating. Hmm. It was like eating with your family should be enjoyable, hmm. but you shouldn't enjoy anything when you're this sad. Hmm. So nobody, nobody wanted to eat. Nobody wanted to do anything. So we just kind of went into survival mode. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but I knew that I could never go home. I spent hmm. one night at home hmm. in my process of deciding to sell the house. We lived about 20 minutes from family and I knew I couldn't be that far away with two little kids. So I made a decision pretty early on to sell the house. And I think that that's probably shocking to some people because they say, don't make big decisions (laughs) when you're going through anything traumatic. But I just knew that that's what I needed to do. And Matt and I had talked about moving anyway, so it wasn't like that was our forever home. It was a it was a decision that was probably made more out of logic than right. anything else. Yes. And just logistics. Yeah. You logistically needed to be closer, closer. Mm-hmm. to your family. Yeah, and we had a we had a bigger house than I have now, a bigger yard, so that would have been more upkeep. It would have been more expensive. The house I'm in now is actually the it is a floor plan that Matt and I walked through together the week before he went in the hospital. Oh, wow. And he was like, I could see us in a house like this. So That's so awesome. There's pieces of Matt that I certainly feel like he helped me make that decision. And I got the keys to our new house on his birthday. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. like, you know, all these little things that showed me I made the right decision. But yeah, so after we, after I lost him, it was, uh, I mean, just crazy. Some of the most... I look back and I can't believe we faced it, mm-hmm. that it was, it was, it's like looking back and watching a movie. Mm-hmm. I th- I'm thinking right now of showing up at the funeral home and having to pick out his casket, going to the cemetery and having to find a place to bury him. Mm-hmm. And I remember the girl there was like, what do you think? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm um... buying, like I'm buying real estate. Do you want to know what I think? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure I would have been just cussing at her. I was I'm like, yeah. So um, stuff like but, that where it's just like mind-blowing Yeah, to think that we went through it. And I was 29 at that time and Matt was 33. So there was mm-hmm. never a discussion in our house about, do you want to be buried or cremated? Yeah, or, so young. Yeah. So trying to navigate that all with his family and while in the midst of grief was just insane and being pregnant yeah just the and same time. I couldn't care for Olivia at the time there was just I had no energy to give to her and kids are so resilient and I'm so thankful for that because I couldn't I couldn't do it all and mm-hmm. I feel like she's she's the one that I backed away from mm-hmm. in that time and so my family and Matt's family 
really stepped in and kept her world turning when I couldn't do it. I'm so thankful for them. And she doesn't know. She doesn't remember that I spent days in bed or that I wasn't the one to walk her to the park. And it was right stuff like that. So this is a blessing. Yeah. In those moments, you just, I think the grace of the Lord just covers so much. Because, you know, the Lord has promised us that when we have nothing and we are at our weakest, that he's going to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And I think those, those are the moments when you can just trust that the Lord's going to fill in the gaps for you. Mm-hmm. And he has, and Olivia is just one example of that. Yeah. That absolutely. The Lord's just going to be her daddy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be her daddy in the day today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so good. What were those weeks like leading up to the birth of your second child? Oh, gosh. I had so much anxiety about giving birth because the last time I was at that hospital was when I was there with Matt and it was for Matt. So I found a therapist through our church who I started going to and we did a lot of talking through the hospital and what my fears were, we broke it down piece by piece by piece so that it didn't just, because there were so many panic attacks that would happen when I would think about giving birth. And she was like, all right, we got to dissect this Mm -hmm. so that it's not so overwhelming. And we went through, like, I brought my own soap to the hospital. I brought Mm. an oil diffuser so I didn't have to smell the smells. I brought music so I didn't have to hear the machines because all of those things are triggers. At 40 weeks, well, almost 40 weeks, 39 weeks, at that appointment, my doctor sat me down and said, all right, well, I'm going on vacation. You're like, (laughs) I was like, no, No, you're you're not. not. (laughs) We're having this baby first. And he said, your choice is have somebody else deliver Rylan or when he induce you. Those were kind of my options. And he didn't want to induce me before 40 weeks. But he would have, I think, if if mm. he had to. Yeah. You know, given your circumstance, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he was. He would have pulled some strings, I think. So 40 weeks hit on a Sunday. And I think like that Tuesday or something, he was leaving on vacation. So he's like, we got to get this baby out. Mm. So they don't usually do inductions on Sundays, I guess. No, they don't. But they called me Sunday morning and they were like, do you want to have a baby today? <laughs> and I was like, yep, I do. Mm-hmm. So um, and I, I was good with that decision. Because so much of my fear came from the unknown of when you're going to yeah. have a baby. Which is normal. Right. I think you would ask any mom what yes. their greatest fear is in labor or delivery. And it's the fear of the unknown. Right. And you can't, they give you a due date, but that's just, that's just a, a guess. guess. Yeah. So I was, I was like, we're going to be induced so that all of us, not just myself, but our family knew the day we were walking into a hospital again. Mm. And, um... So I went in and I guess I was technically in labor because my contractions were like two to four minutes apart. And like, I mean, they were, I, and I was at a five. So they were like, wow, <laughs> you feeling okay? So they got me in and they uh, started me on Pitocin. Even when you were at a five. Yeah. They were just right. They were like, in. let's get this going. Um, so they started me on Pitocin and... Uh, My doctor came in at 10.30 in the morning. 
he broke my water and he said, all right, I'll see you this afternoon. It's going to be a few hours. I'm going to go. He was probably going to go watch the football game or something. (laughs) So he leaves 1030. All of a sudden, like I'm in labor and I'm, I'm wailing in full on screaming, give me the epidural now Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So my nurses started uh, fentanyl in my IV to prep me for my epidural. And I'm like, they're like, you got to hold still. You got to, I don't, I mean, I don't know the details, but I just remember chaos happening. Hmm. And my nurse went to check me and she was like, nope, she's pushing. (laughs) Yeah. No epidural. Yeah. So she ran out, called my doctor who was like, just steps down the hall. And he was like, there is no way she's having this baby right now. He thought they were joking. He didn't Which even- is so funny because I'm like, come on, you are a sca- like a very experienced provider. Don't provider, don't you know? Like, break the bag, game over. <laughs> yeah, yes. So he came in. He didn't even have time to put on a jacket or a coat or anything. He was just like, oh, yeah, there's baby. Uh, two pushes and Rylan was out. So mm. it was. He was born at 10:56. So 26 oh, wow. minutes after they broke my water, he was born, and. No time for an epidural. So there was my natural birth that I'm thankful for, somewhat Mm -hmm. natural with an induction. But they put Rylan on me. There was so much emotion at that point because like some, I don't know who it was, maybe my sister, maybe my sister-in-law, somebody brought a picture of Matt and had it on my TV monitor in my delivery room. There's obviously such a huge missing piece in that moment. Yeah. Uh so we were all just a wreck crying that here's this beautiful baby that we've been mm. waiting for that we're so thankful for. But crap, Matt's not here, yeah. you know. So they put Rylan on me right away and he wasn't on me more than like a minute before mm. they took him away. Uh. By now the fentanyl was like kicking in. So I was kind of like in La La Land, not really sure what was going on. It just kind of made me lightheaded, I guess. And... I guess he was a funky shade of blue when he came out Hmm. and they whisked him away and took him to the NICU where he spent four days in the NICU. I guess he had some fluid in his lungs because he came out so fast that he didn't have time to like get it all squeezed out. out. And there was talk that maybe the fentanyl made him kind of dopey. Sometimes they're a little slow to start. Yeah. So he spent four days in the NICU, which was... Talk about triggers. Yeah. Uh, It's so hard because in those moments, all you want is a baby on your chest. Right. Because that's what's going to like... Heal him. Oh, yeah. And heal you too with that oxytocin and breastfeeding and all of that. That must have been just such a delay. Yeah, it was. Such a jarring halt to what you needed in those moments. And one of his NICU nurses was just... She was set in her ways, mm. <laughs> this is the polite way to say it, because he was born at 40 weeks, 7 pounds, 11 ounces. So there was, he was a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. And she kept saying, are you sure you have your dates right? Are you sure he's not early? Are you, you know, kind of doubting that mm. I'm like, he's 7 pounds, 11 ounces. And he, she put so much fear in me mm. without really saying much. Um, so that was tough. Even... I mean, Rylan had his little oxygen in his nose and the tape they used to tape to his face smelled like Matt in mm. his moments in the hospital. 
and just not being able to hold him. And I knew like my, my gut instinct, my motherly instinct said, your baby's fine. Mm -hmm. You just need to mother him. You just need to be able to hold him and relax with him so he can nurse and you guys are going to be fine. And this nurse just wouldn't let it happen. She Mm -hmm. was, I think she might've gotten wind of what happened to Matt and was maybe a little more fearful. I don't know. She was his nurse for like three days. And on the fourth day, we got a new nurse and she came in and she was like, why is this baby in here? Hmm. <laughs> why isn't he home yet? Why hasn't yeah. he nursed yet? Um, wow. So she so you was, guys hadn't nursed for four days. Well, we would try and it was like the his nurse wouldn't give me the time for us to like really just sit. She mm-hmm. was so hovering and so... She kept, she tried the syringe. She tried that tube thing. Yeah, the SNS. Yeah, she Mm -hmm. tried a nipple shield. She tried all these things. And she was changing it out so quickly that Rylan was just like, probably so confused. He's like, just give me my mom. What are you doing, lady? Yeah. So finally we get this new nurse and she's like, he's your baby. You hold him. Like you, he's fine. He needs Mm -hmm. you. And once that happened, like he, he did fine. He was great. Yeah, that was... So what was going home like? Uh, Going home was... That was one of the hardest days that... I mean, it it just sticks out in my head so vividly because we waited so long to take him home. And I was so anxious to just be in a safe spot with him. But when I got him there, it was... Like, I cried harder that mm-hmm. night than I think I had probably since I lost Matt. Uh, just, and of course, your hormones are doing crazy yeah. things. You're exhausted. You bring home this new baby. And we're all so excited. Olivia's meeting her brother for the first mm-hmm. time. But Matt wasn't there. And it wasn't home. Mm-hmm. It was my parents' house. <laughs> yeah. That was a really, really hard night. And I struggled so much with not my connection to Rylan. I had that right away, which really, really surprised me Mm. because I was so resentful of the fact that I resented my pregnancy for a long time Mm -hmm. because I thought, why couldn't it just be another miscarriage? I can handle miscarriage. I can't handle losing my spouse. And then that guilt of wishing that on my child went with me. And I just, I kept thinking of our time we had with Olivia and how that was such a magical and wonderful week at home with Matt. And here I am trying to be excited about this baby, which I was, but then also the grief that comes along with life now. And that was really tough. And I remember my mom called my therapist to come do a home visit because I was just so sad. Not I think my mom was probably concerned of postpartum at that point. And so she called my therapist in and it was quickly discovered. It was just grief. Yeah. Just the sadness of not having Matt in those moments was, it was a really, really heavy time. Yeah. That's so hard. Okay. So Danny has this amazing blog that she has been (laughs) writing and journaling. And Mm -hmm. I want to read just a little bit of what you wrote and... 
Okay, so this blog post is from June 15th of this summer. Okay. She says, when I talk about my future, I have hope. I have hope because I know I will continue to be blessed just as I have been. I haven't just been blessed since losing Matt, but all throughout my life. I see the ways in which I'm fortunate. At the same time, when I talk about my future, it's so very hard to imagine or dream. What I mean by this is that every evening I've ever dreamed of includes Matt. When I think about life, what life will look like in 15 years, I picture Matt next to me as we watch Olivia graduate from high school. When I think about Olivia and Ryland's weddings, I picture Matt and I dancing together and talking about how proud we are of them. When I imagine meeting our grandkids and growing old, Matt is beside me for all of it. But even the minor details of my life, Matt is still at the forefront of my mind. I recently registered Olivia for T-Ball as I thought, what would Matt want? Every detail of my life still includes him in it. I recently talked about this with my therapist. I get concerned that I'm being stuck or facing this in an unhealthy way. The thing about grief is there is no timeline. There isn't a book of steps saying that in order to get through this, I have to follow certain rules. That's the thing about losing someone. The hurt and the loss never goes away. There isn't an expected timeline for when I have to go through all of Matt's stuff or start dreaming of a life without him. Only time can make that happen. I was going back and reading through your blog post and I just, gosh, I just love that. I think we talk about how there's no timeline for grief Mm -hmm. and you share a lot in your blog about anxiety and your triggers and just living life as a single mom Mm -hmm. with two little babies. Mm -hmm. And Ryland's now almost 18 months. How have you found hope in these last 18 months? It's well, one of the things that I learned really early on, my therapist painted this picture that grief runs, she says, grief runs parallel with your life because there was so much guilt in the early days of time spent laughing or happy moments. And she was like, she explained it that it's always going to follow parallel with my life. So Mm -hmm. while I will be going through highs of happiness and joy and excitement, on the other side of the road is going to be my grief. Um, So that helped me realize a lot, just seeing it in that way. I don't know. I have, I obviously have faith. (laughs) Yeah. Because I wouldn't be here without it. Um, There's obviously, I have a lot of anger at God still Mm -hmm. for what my life looks like. I blame Mm -hmm. him for all of it. But I think you, without hope, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I don't know if there's like really an answer for where it comes from Mm. other than just having faith. Mm. So I have faith that it's, it's going to be hard and it's going to continue to suck at times, but it's also going to be good. I think of Matt obviously all the time, but he, I, when I think of him, he wouldn't want my life to stop because his did. Hmm. And so what do I do with that? Do I just let his passing define me or do I, do I live life fuller than I've ever lived it? And I think he would want me to live 
full of hope and happiness and joy while still honoring him and still missing him and still wishing he were here. Yeah. How do you do that in your everyday? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, the thing with little kids is they keep you really distracted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they are such a joy, really. They they drive me every single day. I've said since very early on that they are my driving force because without them there would be a lot more time in the day to really think about how crappy things are. Yeah. But I know that the day Matt proposed was the day I got the biggest compliment of my life mm. when he said he wanted to marry me. Now I have the privilege of raising his children. I, I'm i just thankful for them and for to him for that gift of his babies. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't know if that answers your question, but... (laughs) No, no, that's great. What would you say the Lord's healed in your life up until now? What are those... What's that brokenness that he's healed? And what would you say are those places that you're still asking the Lord to heal? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I've really grown with is prior to losing Matt, I always thought that I needed to be with someone that Mm. I couldn't be, I've never considered myself to be independent, I Mm. guess. And so when Matt was in the hospital, I was like, how am I going to do this? I had never, I went from living with my parents to being married. There was Mm. no in between. I didn't have roommates. I didn't do college in the dorm or anything. So I was like, how do I even pay a bill? Really? Yeah. One of the things I've learned is just how independent I am, Mm. how, I mean, I I need Matt in different ways, but I don't need him to survive the day-to-day, I guess. He, the way I say it now is he was my added bonus, and he wasn't a necessity, I guess. And that might sound really confusing and really weird, but he was just a huge added bonus in my life. And so coming to that realization that I don't need him to survive... Of course, I want him here. I would bring him back in a moment if I could. But um, that has been really eye-opening for me to see that I can be an independent individual and that Matt was just an added piece, a really beautiful added piece in my life. That complimented the strong person you already were. Yeah. And I just, I guess I didn't, I mean, Matt didn't diminish that in any way. He yeah. didn't hinder that, but I just never saw it that way. Mm-hmm. And so now that I you see You didn't it, have to. Right. He saw it in me. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are those places that God is still working on in your heart? I think when I talk about the hardest things about losing him, obviously I miss him in the day to day, the ordinary, the, all the dreams that will never come to light with him. But I think one of the very hardest things that I struggle with is that Olivia and Rylan will never know their dad. Mm. Olivia has fragmented memory. That's a therapist term, but she has memory of Matt in her little brain that surprises me sometimes Mm. the things that she remembers about him. But your kids should know their dad yeah my kids should know who he is and that's the part that breaks me apart because they don't get that chance they will only know him through 
the stories that are told about him, they will never know. I mean, I could tell them every single day how great of a dad he is, but they won't know that firsthand. And that's that's something that's really hard as a mom. You want to protect yeah. your kids from the bad in the world, from the hurt in the world. And my kids are are born with a burden to carry mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. And that that's hard as their mom to look at them and know that Matt's passing is going to affect them and that they're going to have to process this. What are your hopes for your kids? My hopes are that they will see strength when things are really, really broken. I hope that they look at their lives and they see like, man, my family went through some stuff but we stayed together and that I just hope they feel safe and they feel loved. That's all I really want them to know is that they're safe and that they're loved by so many people. Yeah. And I think, I think all moms in any situation and even any parent listening would say, gosh, I want my kid to feel safe Mm -hmm. and I want my kid to feel loved. Yeah. And yes, they're going to grow at a young age experiencing loss Mm -hmm. and what that looks like but they're also going to have to learn to trust the lord yeah in a different way at a younger age than maybe some of their peers Mm -hmm. and so that is gonna just grow and develop in them a maturity and hopefully a relationship with the lord that is unlike anything else yeah. because they've had to walk with him so closely mm-hmm. at such a young age. Yeah. Whereas some people could go their whole lives and not experience probably not their whole lives given the world that we live in, but mm-hmm. more years yeah. than you'd probably like them to mm-hmm. um, experiencing brokenness and hurt. I don't know. I think the Lord's so faithful to mm-hmm. redeem the broken things. Yeah. And I think as a mom, our only option, our only choice is to really sit there and believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do and, and redeem the brokenness because that's his job. Right. And he's so, so good at it. So it's like, okay, Lord, <laughs> you're going to have to show up and do your job right mm-hmm. now and heal this, this broken part. Yeah. That's in my, you know, in my kid's life or in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so excited to look in a few years from now or 10 years from now and to hear um, the story that Olivia and Rylan have and to hear what they say mm-hmm. about the Lord and their dad yeah. and, and their mom right. even because I just, I think it's going to be a, a really powerful story of hope. I hope so. I hope that they see the good that can come out of really, really tough situations and really bad situations because it's easy to just sit back and be like, well, this happened to me and so I'm going to give up hope in the world and that things can turn around because, I mean, I felt that way. I felt like this is this is the darkest and lowest I could ever go and how do I climb out of it? And so I hope that my kids know there's always a way to climb out of really dark spaces in your life that's so good i think they will know that i hope so (laughs) yeah okay so kind of switching gears danny Mm -hmm. what are three things in your life in this season of motherhood and having little babies and being a single mama what are three things that you absolutely cannot live without 
Ellen. I record her show every day. <laughs> I love Ellen. So Ellen Tube. Do you watch Ellen Tube? No, but I wa- I record her show. So I okay, like that's when I so catch up good. on my laundry. Is perfect. Binge watching Ellen episodes. She's just I don't know. Just her message of positivity and love for the world is. I that's how I catch up on the news. As sad as that is, because. Yeah, here she through keep, Ellen, yeah, the filter she keeps of Ellen. The, the bad out. Um, Ellen, the gym that I'm a part of is just like, that's my time. It's such a positive community and yeah. therapy for yeah. sure. Yeah. So good. I that's think good. everyone can benefit from oh, yeah. therapy. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think everyone needs to go. Yes. <laughs> and should go. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sitting with me and chatting and just being so honest yeah. and so real and so vulnerable with us because I just believe that your story is going to change a lot of lives. Well, and thanks for having me. It yeah, was fun. <laughs> I loved having you here. You know, I know there's a lot of women out there who may not have gone through your same situation, mm-hmm. but probably have experienced loss of some kind and I'm sure they're going to just draw so much wisdom and encouragement from the words that you shared so thank you so much yeah thank you wow wasn't that just incredible I am so thankful for Danny thankful for her willingness to come and be vulnerable with you all as she works out her faith. That is a hard thing to do. It's easy to talk about hard seasons after they have passed and are long behind us, but it is a whole different thing to share about what your life looks like right now in these very moments. And sometimes it's not always pretty. We have never arrived, none of us. We are all just working on our stuff. And I just love the way that Danny so honestly shared how she's hurt and how the Lord has been faithful to slowly, slowly, but surely restore her hope. I pray you found encouragement in her words today. If you're listening this week and you're in a tough season, maybe it's a super challenging season of life. I want to be here to tell you that the Lord is near to you. He may not always feel near, but he has promised us, you guys, that he will never leave us or abandon us. God is not silent or removed from your situation. I want to invite you this week, moms, invite the Lord into those hard places. Let's be women who can be honest with the Lord. The Lord wants to hear from you. He wants to know about your grief and your struggle and your pain. God sees it all, all the mess. And guess what? He says, I love you. I love all of you. And I've called you the best of the best, the very, very best. Even the parts you don't want anyone else to see. So ladies, I want to invite you this week. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Ask him to bring something new to your heart. Ask him to come near and speak a new word over your life right now. Keep walking with him through the easy moments and the really, really hard ones. 
Thank you all so much for listening today. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you haven't yet had a chance to head over to iTunes and write a review, would you be willing to do that for me? I would so love to be able to reach more people who need to hear the message that they are perfectly and wonderfully made by a creator who absolutely adores them. Your reviews help more people find the show. I also want to tell you I've created a free six-day childbirth education course that's going to help every pregnant mama have the best birth possible. If you're pregnant or maybe you're not pregnant but you have a friend who is, would you tell them or head over to my website at elisemarsh.com and sign up? You'll receive one email from me each day with a new lesson. I believe this resource is going to be a big difference maker. It's going to change the way you feel about your birth experience. I would love to connect with you guys. Send me an email at elise at elisemarsh.com or find me over on Instagram. My handle is at perfectly wonderfully made. Leave me a comment or shoot me a message. I would love to get to know you guys better. And we'll be back next week with another awesome story. Enjoy your week, you guys. And thank you so much for listening. 